0: This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This show is sponsored by Empower Your Reality. The Power Your Reality is an online consciousness school that is designed to help you elevate the mind, raise your consciousness, your vibration to attract and create the reality of what it is that you desire. On Empower- at the Power Your Reality, we have books, we have online classes. You can find the podcast here on there and other things that can help you elevate and re- truly. Learn the art and the science of creating the reality of what it is that you want to experience in your life. So for more information to check out all that we're up to and what we're doing, please visit www.EmpowerYourReality.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Each week, we have someone that we're going to interview to share a concept, an idea, a thought process, um, a whole array of things to help you expand, evolve, and grow in what you're doing in your life in some way, shape, or form. This week, I had the distinct honor and pleasure of interviewing Greg Ballard. He is the founder and CEO of 5C Consulting. We dived and talked about a lot of things, his story, the importance of self-awareness, personality assessments, how he constructs his consulting and what he does, and so much more. And uh, a lot of great wealth here, and I'm excited to share this with you. But Greg is the founder and CEO of 5C Consulting. It's a boutique firm based in Washington, D.C., the metro area. His company works with a diverse set of clients ranging from mid-sized tech companies, large government agencies, military, and nonprofits to radically improve strategic people, investments, and organizational performance. With over 25 years of experience, Greg has developed extensive Experience in management and leadership development through startup, corporate, entrepreneurial, and faith-based entre- enterprises. In prior roles, Greg has led and managed business units of 300 plus, and has personally mentored over 225 leaders. Over the past four years, Greg has actively worked with CEOs, operational executives, mid-level managers, and small business owners to improve their mindset, business habits, and overall approach to management and leadership. I promise you, you'll get a lot of value out of this workshop. Uh, workshop this episode. So I'm excited to share with you guys this, but with no further ado, here is Greg Ballard. Greg, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Victor. Glad to have you. Glad to be here today.
0: I'm excited to have you on. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We were chatting a little bit before, and uh, some of the things that we're going to hopefully to get to, I'm going to have some questions on. uh, We'll get there because I think it's going to help with the listeners a lot and just to help and in general, just help us evolve and become, um, raise even more, evolve to another level or expand to another level in our life. So thanks for taking the time. As my listeners know, I always get right into it. And I like to know, what is, you know, how'd you get into what you're doing? What's your story? And, and how, what was your journey uh, of doing what you're doing today? How'd you get there?
1: All right. So let me take uh, a few steps back um, and kind of share with you where I came from. So originally from uh, upstate New York, and the, what I did prior to what I'm doing now is quite a bit different. Um, I was in full-time ministry, and so I worked on staff of a multi-site church, and one of the last things I did in that, with that organization is, is I stood up a, a campus. I stood up a, a one of the locations, and so my title was lead pastor, but I was essentially a campus pastor, um, for those that have any kind of context to that. Um, and so I loved it. I was a uh, hardcore ministry. That was my passion. That was my life. And, and, I, and I really thought that's what I was going to be doing forever. And, you know, things change. You know, I married kids and things change. Organization grows and realized, you know, it was time to kind of chart a new course. And so um, my wife and I began thinking and considering where we want to go next. And so we moved down to Northern Virginia just outside of DC. And I started pursuing a new business career, a new business path. Um, But the foundations for what I'm doing came from my role. And so uh, essentially, the gentleman that hired me brought me onto his team had a pretty unique development process. And at the time, I had no idea what it was, but I was thriving in it. And I later learned after a couple of years, it's, it's coaching. It's what we call coaching today. And because of the role we're in in the organization and what we're doing is we're all about developing people, developing leaders, encouraging people to understand how they're wired, how they're made, and how they can take that and offer it as a contribution back into the community. And so really my job was to identify talent, develop that talent, and release that talent. That's what I was designed to do. That's what my, my role was. And so my supervisor, my boss, was doing that with me. And so we actually took a hard look at coaching. We went through a coaching program, um, not enough to necessarily get a certification, but definitely enough to understand the fundamentals and begin developing the skill. And I soaked it up. I absolutely absorbed it, loved it. And I started immediately using it um, with my staff, with volunteers, with key leaders, and with people coming to me for ministry questions. And that it, it was a pivot. It was an absolute pivotal moment. Um, in fact, I had one person come to me from another church, and he just came with his wife. I'd met them at a group, and we spent like thirty minutes. And he's like, "Pastor Greg, what you did for me in the last thirty minutes is more than I've gotten in three years at this other place." And it was simply a coaching a coaching process. And when we decided, you know, so with that background, if you will. Um, and moving to a new location, beginning to say, well, what kind of business can I build? What, what value can I bring to the market? Uh, coaching and development and organizational help—that all of that came right to, to the top. And so I doubled down. I did a significant investment, earned my certifications, got my credentials, really got to understand coaching at a much deeper level. And then I then I began to go into what I'm doing. Um, and then for about three years, I my brand was my name. And then I began to realize I want to build something bigger than my name. So I did it basically a rebranding and a rework and came out with 5C Consulting. And so really, so we have a coaching background with a consulting concepts, consulting approach to problem solving. So I've been studying what consultants do and how consultants solve problems um, for businesses. And so now we bring both of these skill sets to the marketplace. I love that. Does the five C stamp, are they five literal Cs that mean something? Yes. Yeah, so um, I've had fun with this. Uh, we've developed a series of short lists, but I'm not going to go through all of them. I'll give you one. This is the one I kind of lead off with, and it's called the five practices. If you have your hand, um, you know, if you're listening, we start with the index finger. We have critical thinking. What I mean by that is we use first principles. We use data analysis, logic, that's to identify and to solve problems. So critical thinking, and then the middle finger, central, is our core values, okay? We operate around our core values. The ring finger is we're consciously human, and we treat people with dignity and, and respect. Uh, we include people in the conversation. We're consciously human in, in our solutions and in our approach. And then the small fingers we're co-creative. What I mean by that is don't give me an RFP. Don't say, hey, we have X problem. Go into a bl- dark room, come up with your solution, and then propose it to me on paper, and then we'll never speak we have to interact with the problem. We have to understand what it is and the context it's in and the strengths and weaknesses that your organization or you as an individual bring to the problem. So we have to co-create the solution. And then the, the thumb, which works with all four of these is our communication style. So we, we seek to, you know again, another list of C's, compelling, concise, candid. I like, that. I like, the, hand, I like the fingers to all that. It's, uh, that that's, uh, that's pretty uh, genius and, there. And- to wrap it off, you see those five elements, you have the fingerprints of a 5C engagement or a 5C experience.
0: Love that. Um, when it comes to your experiences in coaching and so forth, right, and and, and and what you do, how important is it, you know, developing leaders and so on and so forth, how important is self-awareness? How, how much does that play a role? Because <laughs> a lot of the things I, I, I talk about is I, if somebody will come up and tell me a problem and I'm like, okay, let's, 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 there's a reason why let's dive in. Let's get some awareness to this and we'll take it from there. Um, what's that approach? How's that look like? And so much more.
1: Oh my gosh, self-awareness. And my mentors used to say that self-awareness is a wonderful thing. Um, and if you are in business or if you're a parent or, you know, if you're leading any other person, um, you're going to appreciate when the person you're leading has any level of self-awareness. You think about it, if, you know, and let's use a church example here. Somebody wants to sing in the choir or sing in the worship team, yet they can't carry a tune in a suitcase. They're not aware of their gifting. Now their passion may be real, their zeal may be real, but they haven't developed the skill, the capability yet to actually do what you need them to do. And so you now have to have a difficult conversation. You have to help them orient to where the reality is. One of my, um, one of my bosses very early in my career uh, challenged me with this. He, you know, and if you're I'm on video here, I'm, if I hold my hand over my head and say, hey, look, you want to get here. Okay, you want to get to this altitude. And I'm holding my hand over my head. The problem is you think, and I'm holding my hand at about my eye height, that you're here. Okay? You think you're here, so you think you've got six inches to go. The reality is, you're, my hand's now under my chin. The reality is, is you've got a foot to go. And so if you can't properly diagnose where you are, whatever your goal is, it's going it's, it's to be hard to get to. And another analogy is, imagine you're on a map, okay? And you have your destination. Uh, say, let's assume our destination is Disneyland, Disney World, okay? We all want to go to Disney World. But if I don't know your origin, where you originate, giving you directions is really not gonna work. So if I think I'm in New York, but I'm actually in Ohio, okay, generally go south, okay, that's gonna help. But if I don't tell you which roads to get on, it's not gonna make any sense. So self awareness is really about getting that GPS point of exactly where you are and then figuring, and then knowing where you wanna go and then charting the course. But most people, in fact, I was doing some research on this recently. About ten to fifteen percent of people are actually self-aware. That means ninety to eighty, eighty-five to ninety percent of people are not self-aware.
0: That's just a staggering number, right? It. it's like in the the conscious versus subconscious mind, right? How many people live in the conscious mind versus how many people are in autopilot in in the subconscious? And it's 95% subconscious, 5% conscious. And it's like, same thing, what you're saying very close to that. And it's like, wow, people are living a life, not being aware. So they're kind of like what you're saying, Disney world, but they're just going in whatever direction. They don't have a compass telling them where to go or then knowing where they are. Um, and so then it creates a lot of chaos in someone's life, right? It kind of leads to a place where um, they can't achieve what they want or get to a level or experience something without knowing where they are. I, I would say, would you also say it's like the same thing, like having knowing what you're, the issue you have to work on or the problem you have to solve. If you're not aware of the problem, then the solution can't exist or it can't be found. Correct.
1: yeah, which is. Whole, we, well, that's why we use critical critical thinking and analysis to identify the problem. Most times, organizations come to me with a symptom and not even fully understanding what the real issue is. And secondly, they don't have, they they have yet to determine what the outcome they want is and how to measure that. And so they're coming to me with something that they feel, okay? We want X. We want you know so and so to change their behavior but they haven't diagnosed what the root cause is. They feel something is out of place. Um, and so they haven't structured the problem in a way where the solution will actually be revealed. Uh, coming back to self-awareness, because I think this is significant, especially for your listeners. Um, self-awareness actually goes down as you gain influence, authority, and power.
0: Pretty profound. I, now,
1: wh- I mean, I have an idea, but for the listeners, why is that? So think about it. If you are in charge, there's less people to challenge you. People aren't going to challenge you because they're afraid to challenge you. So you're not going to get really, really good feedback. You're going to get what people think you want to hear. Secondly, if you've been successful, you're more likely to trust your instincts because you've demonstrated success rather than actually looking at reality. And so for those senior executives, those influential people, those people that have a lot of authority, success, influence, self-awareness actually can go down if you are not proactive against it.
0: I can totally see that because it's one of those things too, like the ego gets more involved, right? And you're like, well, I'm, I'm this person, right? You create that identity and now you are that. So then you just become this instead of well, yeah, I've got here, but I still have to stick to my roots or I still have to challenge myself. I still have to, you know, focus on where am I at, how the center of that. And that's where I think where the greats are. Like if you look at some of these individuals, it doesn't have to be billionaires and millionaires or other people too, but I'll just use them for for, for example. A lot of them are more like, well, yeah, this is where I'm at, but you know, I'm still you know, at that place. And this is where I think they have that massive, great success. And they continue uh, because like you said, if you lose self-awareness, it's just a matter of time before you're going to tank. I think it's, it's, it's a lot, a lot harder because you're not coming from that other
1: place that you were before. Absolutely agree. If if you're losing track of where you are on a journey, it's kind of like you have your map, you have your destination, but the blue dot has disappeared. And now you're just driving towards, you're driving, you're moving, but you have no idea if you're getting closer to your goal or not. That's so true. Now, how does it? How do
0: you, if you don't mind breaking this down? Because we're talking about problem solving, knowing self awareness, and that can lead to that. How does that journey look like? How what, what is the processes you, you utilize if you don't mind sharing um, when it comes to or the importance of problem solving and, and looking at things from? I'm assuming you do this, but I'm just gonna you I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. But like looking at things from different perspectives to figure out how to you know see the see the problem in its whole perspective you know d- three hundred and sixty degree view and then create solutions from that?
1: Yeah, so depending on what we're talking about here, so if we're talking about an individual, okay, versus an organization, uh, there's going to be two, the, the, the conceptual process is the same, but the tactics is different. And so let me give you some tactics uh, Tactics. if we're working with an individual. Uh, what we do is we'd like to do a what's called a robust discovery process and, You know, that process is going to have its own unique flavor, but essentially we're going to try to understand a few things. One, we really want to get an understanding of what success looks like for you. But we also recognize that most people define success as it's been inherited through the key influences of their life, rather than what they authentically define as success. So we recognize there's a few layers we've got to get through before they can actually identify what success looks like. For themselves. Uh, but we need to get to that. Secondly, we can use some assessment tools, whether they're 360s or various, you know, and, and I put them in three categories. You've got a cognitive uh, category, you've got a, an affective category, and a con- conative category. The um, cognitive is, is really your intelligence, your skill, your capability, what you know, how, your level of intelligence. Um, the affective is that kind of emotional personality. So, like an MBT, Uh, MBTI or a DISC or a personality type assessment that gives us an insight into how you process communication, your preferences, your tendencies, how you tend to do things. It doesn't dictate what you will be successful at and what you won't, but it gives us a sense of your style. Okay, then we'll look at uh, the conative, and that's a Colby type assessment that's going to understand your MO, how you are going to approach a problem and how you're going to solve it, whether you're going to start with research or you're going to dive hands head first in or some other process that you're going to use. We also use a tool called Energy Leadership Index, and this comes back to our first principles like, how do you show up? In a situation energetically so we'll use these tools we'll use what i call a custom life wheel where we give you a, basically it's a chart with 12 pie slices on it and we're going to give you a list of areas of life from business finance personal like this whole bevy of of of, of lists and we're going to ask you pick 12 that are important to you, that you want to measure. So you kind of design your own life wheel and then you score it one to 10. Where are you on this chart right now? And then we'll take the, uh, from that we'll identify three, maybe three to five areas that you want to develop. And then we'll design a life wheel for each of those because they all break down. And then we'll get a, a clear sense of where we need to invest your time and energy to advance that category, whether it's a skill capability you need to develop, maybe it's a, a fear you need to overcome, or a block you need to uh, address. And so we can begin to chart out what we'll call a critical path to get you to your, plan of, to, to your place of success. So we've got to define success, we've got to diagnose where you are, get, create that self-awareness, and then we've got to create that critical path to get you there.
0: I like that. I like, I like that approach. I'm a data guy. I like data, I like points, I like references, um, because then that way you kind of know, again, self-awareness, we're coming back to that, to know where you are. And it's kind of like knowing your, because I used to use DISC personalities for myself, actually, even in my office with patients in the beginning of my career, I would do that only in the sake of understanding their communication. So that way, when I'm explaining the, what we're going to go over for the report and what I found and everything we're going through, I know that I'm addressing them in the way that they like to interpret it informa- or can be communicated to. Because if I'm with a hard driver, they're not going to want to hear research. They don't want me going in depth with things. They just want the nuts and bolts and let's move forward. Where that could be a five to 10 minute report where an analytical is going to be like, hey, I want the full 30. I want to know everything. Show me the research. I want you to send me research afterwards. I got to be able to analyze all this and so much more. Um, I think that's great. Is there, um, in that process that, you know, with it, you know, the person, it, when you use the personality stuff, is that more, is that more for communication perspective? I know you mentioned a little bit of that. Uh, I just want to dive a little deeper into that, or is it used for other stuff too?
1: So, so we are authorized partners with everything disc. I've been using disc for over a decade now. I used it even before I was in this, in this role in you know, doing this business. Um, and I, we bring DISC into an organization specifically to address communication and to kind of create like an onboarding kind of culture, provide language and a framework where everybody can dialogue about their different styles. And so that DISC is a phenomenal tool for that. Um, on a one-to-one, I probably would not use DISC simply because I can I can pretty much read it um so depending on what the objectives of the client are and if disk if that model is going to serve them in some way we may bring it in but because I'm so familiar with it it's not something I need and I always have to kind of decide which tools am I going to use because I can't bring all of them in right So you have to kind of pick your priorities. And so a lot of what's going to drive that is what we discover the client needs um, and where they need to grow in awareness and what frameworks are going to serve them to get to their goal. But it could be. It's absolutely one of the ones that is in in the toolbox that we could bring out at any time.
0: Love that, and so when it comes to coaching and doing coaching work and so forth, um, it, it, do you call it coaching or is it consulting? I know you have consulting on here. Uh, with, with, what you do, uh, I know you brought up coaching a little bit in the podcast. Is it one or the other? Are those those words
1: kind of blend together. Are they separate? How do you identify that? Oh boy, <laughs> you just hit a you just hit a, a soapbox item for me. So, coaching, mentoring consulting, counseling, therapy, they're all very different things. Right. Um, and, and right now, the way we approach it is I bring myself, I bring everything I have into my engagements. And coaching is a particular modality to serve a purpose. And so if I could break this down for your listeners, the way I've processed it, coaching has the fundamentals of very Very simply, the fundamentals of that the client has the solution within them. And the purpose of the coach is to help create a safe environment where you can draw the solution out and the client can take ownership of the solution and implement it. it. And, And it's a phenomenal modality. And it works really well with intelligent, competent people that really know how to solve a problem. It works really well with executive leaders. And so we bring executive coaching in for that reason, because you get somebody that is super intelligent, has a lot of confidence. You know, the last thing that they're going to want is somebody to tell them what to do. So coaching can help them figure out what they need to do, provide the safe place and the accountability so that they can execute. So it's a phenomenal skill to have. Therapy and counseling is all about digging out pain from the past, okay? And so we're not therapists. We're not counselors. It's a regulated industry. You have to be licensed. You have to be trained how to do that. What we do is we might go back to the past to say, hey, where have you had success? Where has this happened before? It's to help you move forward. Mentoring, mentoring, the way we frame that is this is somebody that's climbed the mountain that you want to climb and is willing to help give you guidance on how they got there. So they got the t-shirt, they've got the title, they've got the thing that you want. So if I wanted to go into podcasting, Victor, you know, I might say, hey, Victor, what's, what what do you suggest I do to get started in podcasting? You've walked up that mountain, you've you've accumulated some success. I can learn from you and your experience. That's what a mentor is going to do. The coach, I've never been up that mountain, but I know you can get there, and I'm going to help you get there, and I'm going to be on the car ride all the way up. Now, the consultant is almost fundamentally different. The consultant, you bring in to solve the problem and to deliver the solution. And so what I do is I blend the coaching, the mentoring, and the consulting um, but blending really, what it looks like is on is on specific conversations on specific topics. It's engaging with the client with exactly what they need at the moment. What I learned over time is a lot of the clients that I've worked with have reached out to me and say, "Greg, I've chosen you to be my coach because you have this bevy of experience, and I want to glean from it." And so we'll walk through. I'll use some coach, some consulting, problem solving tactics with the client to say, hey, here's how we're going to approach the problem. What's your core objective? How does that get driven? You break it down. So I'm kind of walking them through the consulting process. So I'm giving them a problem-solving framework, and they're solving their own problem, and I'm coaching through that. So I don't know if that's muddy or if that answers your question, but happy to break it down a little further if you like.
0: I 100% get it. Cause I have that same approach in my, my processes of what I do. Cause I love how you brought up, you know, this is what a coach does. Like I think of when I, when I look for a definition of like, if I had to look at someone's picture of who a, a true coach is, who's never gotten to that level, but at the same token, get other people there. I think of Phil Jackson with Michael Jordan, maybe because I'm from Chicago too. That's why I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan anyhow, but it's one of the things where, um, Bill Jackson never got to that level of success ever, but he was able to take a group of individuals and be able to, well, Michael Jordan, but also the group of individuals, to have unbelievable success that we have not seen yet again in the NBA or in in an individual. Um, My my bias, so just in case anybody's listening, like, wait a minute here, there's some other players. I'm like, I know I have a little bias to it. but that's how I look at a coach and I look at other, you know, great coaches. Like I'm a big baseball fan, baseball guy. So I look at, you know, I look at when I see a coach, I'm always like, it's always fascinating that they may have not have gotten to the level of success because the ones who've gotten to that great, like, like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, he's not a great coach per se. He, he, he's, he's, he, he can't, it's hard for, he, the way he drives himself, very hard to teach others to do the same uh, from that perspective. Um, that's how I think of it uh, from that that way. But um, if you'd like to add on, I would love to hear more. But if you want to go a little deeper into it, too, you can because, you know, for the listeners.
1: Well, let me just build off Michael, Michael Jordan for a second. So um, there's a, a colleague of mine and in the bottom of her email, she puts a Michael Jordan quote. And he says, I've lost 300 games, 26 times um, I have missed the final game winning shot. And he's like, basically, I'm successful because I've failed more than anybody else. So I love that quote about Michael Jordan and the second thing you just said Michael Jordan may not be a great coach because he's not able to take to show somebody what he did and that's that's right because we're not here to create like copies of people right and and I think this is a fundamental thing I'll share with you um how the approach we bring and why discovery is so important, whether it's working with an individual or working with an organization or working with a team. Um, a few years back, I was working with um, a team of health coaches. I had done some work for them, like they were some clients of mine, and then we got together. And they said, Hey, let's partner up. And I was like, This makes sense to me. Let, and so they, they brought, brought me into their program and uh, they did their discovery. They, I did this survey and then I got to sit down. And uh, one of them, Corey, was like, you know, Greg, I want to do a nutrition plan for you. But one of the things that could be really helpful is getting a DNA, a health DNA analysis. So not the ancestry one, but a health one. And so I was like, "Okay, let's do it. And so she had an organization that does it and they're super legit. They, uh, you know, I get to own my own DNA. They don't like keep it on storage on file or anything like that. Um, So I got the results back and it was absolutely transformational because what it did is it broke down my genetic code and how I process various proteins and fats and all this other stuff. And what it really illustrated to me is that I am that unique it's to the point where, and I'll give you an example. Like what I real what I learned was the, the protein in avocados, like my body doesn't break it down the way it should. And my wife loves avocado and guacamole, and so do I. So I have to stop after four scoops, basically, um, or my body is not going to be able to process it the way it should. And and it, and then you do so take this concept. You know, we all have this unique genetic design. And yet there are all these different diet plans out there. You've got the Atkins, the Paleo, the South Beach. You can go on and on. And when somebody enrolls in these programs. And then they don't get the result and they say, oh my gosh, it must be me. I failed. I'm not working. Wait a second. You've just put a solution on something and it's not a fit. It's not a fit. Or it's been designed to work for one complete category, one kind of broad genetic makeup category of people. And maybe you're in that category, maybe you're not. And so... When we work with a client, we want to truly understand how they're designed. If we're working with an organization, like, hey, well, how do we help you get a strategic competitive advantage? We've got to consider your weaknesses, your strengths, the market, your biggest competitor, and how do we get you to be relatively better than your competitor in one thing? And so you have to get down to the specifics. And this really kind of comes, this is how you solve the problem. You've got to really get down to the specifics. And, um, I think what happens is a lot of people will create a product or create a program and then they simply get some success and they say, oh, now we've got to go to scale. Okay, we've got to take this thing to scale. And, and I don't know that it always works very well that way. I think
0: especially if you're not ready to scale and you're thinking you have to, that also becomes another big uh, issue with that. But you bring up a great point and I love this point. Now, sure, I'll add a little bit to your health topic of this where when we talk about individuality and and uniqueness um, in your gut, you know, they call it the gut microbiome or so forth. um, You have 500 to 1,000 bacterial strains that do not exist anywhere else in this world. So you take that number and you look at the 7.8 billion people in the world. That's a lot of unique strains to bacteria that exists individually within us. Uh, and you have your own I have my own and research shows it's roughly 500 to a 1000 unique strains that do not are not found anywhere else in the world. I always find wow. that fascinating. So when that you talk about the DNA stuff that's it's really cool when you do those kind of things and uh uh I don't know if they use the term nutrigenomics but that's usually what they do in DNA they look at how the body processes things and looking how your body breaks things down. It's really fascinating things. I think that's like the the new uh where we're going that's where we're heading in health or where it's more of like that individual approach using science to back that up very very cool stuff but you have to take that in coaching you can't cookie cut uh that's my that's my two cents on that i always tell people like when they go oh i'm going to do this program it's a f- this is what we do like i love your approach because yes you you have a system in place but then it's like yeah but we're individual because this is we have to find through things it's just like when a patient comes to me for chiropractic Uh, My approach is in a certain way, and it seems like it's the same in a certain way, but it's also very unique when i develop the care plan and other things that I do, because it has to meet their needs, their lifestyle, where they're at, and we use different metrics to show the technology to show, hey, this is where you are, and then here's the work we're going to have to do that's only for you. That's it. There's no one else that we can compare this to. It's you and only you, and we're going to work with Mm -hmm. you to help you, and some journeys are easy, some are hard, because sometimes a lot of people go, my friend went to you, and within two weeks, they were like, oh my god they're 10 times better i said don't get hooked on that well what do you mean doesn't chiropractic do that no and number two that was their journey they got that it, it worked out for them um your journey is going to probably be different and then usually when they get worse they're always like no this is not what it's supposed to be I'm like this is you know and i have to walk them through so totally get yeah. that totally vibe with you on that
1: so this is one of the things um i think we sent over to you is like i've kind of taken up the mantle on you know boycotting the term best practice. And this kind of ties right into that. Um, Now, in some cases, you can have a best practice. But in most cases, what people do is they, they find a best practice that's been a best practice for somebody else or for some organization. And they say, oh, my gosh, that's best practice. We need to copy it. And that's where it falls apart, because that best practice was tested and validated and designed in a different environment for a different goal. And unless you have exactly the same goal with exactly the same strengths and weaknesses, making that best practice yours is likely going to be a disaster. So, I mean, just think about it. If you take a practice from Google and you try to import it into Apple, okay, what's going to happen? It, it's not going to be a best practice. And so um, I see a lot of professionals kind of building up the idea of like, we, well, we have best practice. We're going to give you best practice. And, and it's kind of like almost a selling point. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you got to look under the hood there before you start implementing somebody else's best practices and calling them your own because they're likely not going to be best practices for you.
0: That's so true. I had someone, we talked about this on the set of intention in that when you do something like this, I've been at fault of this in my early on in my career where I just found someone successful. Holy cow, what do you do? I'm going to model that. I'm going to take that on. And then I don't get the results they're getting. And I'm like, what's going on? I don't get this. And then I find, I would go down this rabbit hole for a little bit and then I'm like, hold up. How about if I just forget everything and just focus on me and just do my work and see what happens. And then all of a sudden I'm like, no, this couldn't be that easy. No, no, no. You know, you start judging it because I'm like, no, it's supposed to be this complicated process. And then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's not to a certain degree. Um, and but they were talking about intention, where you have an intention of what you want to do. But then if you're taking someone else's program or something else they do, whatever it is, and you're trying to create that, well, that's their intention. That's their vibe. That's what works for them. Um, that may not work for you and how you are because you don't want to become a robot of someone else. And that's a I'm not going to get on a soapbox with that, but it's it's one of the things of creating your
1: your unique self in one way, shape, or form. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, I have been around the world. I have met. Thousands and thousands of people, Um, and there's no two people alike. And so you are uniquely you, and you need to do the work of discovering who you are, your purpose, your strengths, your weaknesses, and you need to chart your own journey rather than allowing someone else to chart it for you. I love that. Would you agree that like sometimes I think that
0: the the era we're in with information era, you know, and a lot of this, you know, some people in, in the the self-help board will always be like, you know, success leaves clues. You want to follow what they do because they got there. Um, do you feel like we're moving away from that? Because what you're bringing up is at, in, in from my own experience we're kind of breaking away from that and kind of just saying we got to go on our own journeys. It's good to have those kind of things, like a mentor, like we were kind of talking about, like, you know, if you want to learn from how someone got there, but then it's, it's more about going through your journey and be able to recreate that self awareness to discover, you know, that process to what you're going to bring to the world.
1: So I I agree with you. And what I am going to offer you is this, um, you know, when you look at the history, uh, the history of knowledge, right. Um, it's grown and it's continually growing and it's, getting, it's growing so fast. Okay? We now have to prioritize. Okay? We now have to prioritize the information we're paying attention to. And what I think what we're talking about is giving you a filter so that you can prioritize and deprioritize. And that filter needs to be your own individuality.
0: I really, I really resonate with that message because it it is one of those things where um, I remember, what was it? Uh, It's about six, seven years ago now. No, a little, little, about it. Almost 10 years ago. Wow. Time's flying. Um, But long story short, I I was always told you got to read a lot of books, read a lot of books. Bill Gates reads as many books. These people read all these books. So I was like this overachiever, like, okay, fine. 80 to 120 books a year. I'm going to nail this. And I did it for a couple of years and it was great, right? Learned a ton of things. I couldn't believe how many books I read so quick. But it came to a point where I was like, not actually implementing it. What was I filtering? That's why I like that word filter so much. Because now I read some people who've followed me in the past are like, are you still doing 80 to 120 books? What are you doing now? What are you listening to? What are you following? And I'm like, I don't know, I may read 10, maybe five books a year, 10, 15. They're like, that's all? I'm like, well, I still read and I still listen. It's, there's something that comes up and I'm like, I need to learn this. Something feels like I need to follow this and I'll go into it, but I'm filtering through what I need to grab instead of trying to take everything and then try to implement, which creates a lot of, at least in my experience, create a lot of failures. Um, and now I'm sitting there going, I'm reading less, doing less in that aspect, but I'm gaining more and learning more. And I feel I'm evolving more because it's when I feel like I need to, or I need to learn something and filter what I want to get out of it rather than got to take everything in, and you know, learn every little piece. So I don't forget something.
1: Yeah. There's a delicate balance there because your business judgment um, is going to be informed by what you've been exposed to. Okay. So if you're not constantly consuming um, relevant information on your industry, on what's going on in the world, your business judgment will suffer from it. However, you cannot consume everything. And so you have to prioritize and deprioritize. And you have to think about like, okay, well, what do, information do I need to know to be successful in my role? And then you've got to look at that and create the systems and streams so that you can, you can get the information you need. And information right now is coming out so fast. I mean, this is a fundamental problem that people are, are, are having and will continue to have, is you think about it, if you're an executive, a senior executive in a regulated industry, Okay. So think of HR right now. All right. Depending on the state you're in, there is HR policies and laws that are changing so fast. They're, you know, literally being updated every week, every month. And as an organization, you're supposed to keep up with that. So now you have to dedicate somebody's time and attention so they can pay attention to the changes. And this is gonna continue. So you need to have a good filter, but you need to recognize that your business judgment is gonna be based on what you are aware of. Uh, so it just means less leisure reading as I think is gonna come down to it, Dr. Vick. I like that, that works for me. Um, Greg,
0: love chatting here, like to know how can people find you, see what you're up to, see all the things that you're talking about and, and, and see what you're doing and all that good stuff.
1: So commonplaces, you know, we've got our my LinkedIn profile, uh, Greg Ballard. I think it's G W Ballard is my LinkedIn tag. Um, uh, Instagram, uh, I use it for Clubhouse. Um, G Ballard with the, the second A dropped, and then my email, obviously, Greg at five, F-I-V-E letter C dot consulting, and then of course our website. Uh, which we're constantly evaluating, uh, you know, developing and stuff. So those are common places you can get me: LinkedIn, Instagram, email, website. Awesome for
0: all the listeners, I'll have that in the show notes. Um, Greg, this was fun. I appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge and in this information, and uh, I got some input out of this. I know the listeners definitely did, and uh, appreciate
1: the work you're doing and everything you've been you're, you're continue to do. Hey, uh, Dr. Vic, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I've learned some things too. So thank you.
0: Awesome. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And Until next time, keep rocking and rolling.